Hello, and welcome to the Soundweavers podcast. Soundweavers explores the trials and tribulations of small ensemble musicianship through conversations with leading performers and composers. Today's episode features Win Sync. We hope you enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sound Weavers. I am Rosanna Moore, your harping host, and today my wonderful co-host is Blair Kerner. How are you, my dear? I am very excited because we've got a win group on. So, who do we have on today? The incredible wind quintet, Windsync. Windsync has established itself as a vibrant chamber music ensemble, performing quintet masterworks adapting beloved music to their instrumentation and championing new works by today's composers they make an aim to eliminate the fourth wall between musicians and the audience by often performing from memory creating intimate connections with their audiences this personal performance style combined with the ensemble's three-pronged mission of artistry education and community building lends WinSync to its reputation, as described by Alison Young at Classical NPR, a group of virtuosos who are also wonderful people too. So I'd like to give a huge welcome to two members from WinSync. We have Annie Hochholter and we have Julian Hernandez. Hello, my dears. How are you this afternoon? Hi, doing well. Hi, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. <laughs> All right, to get us started, Ani, you, if I remember correctly, are one of the founding members or the founding member of WinSync. So, could you just tell us how this ensemble came into existence? Yeah. Um, so, I actually, this is a, a little known fact. Um, Garrett Hudson, our flutist, is actually the only original original member um, because the group the group started as a student ensemble at the at Rice University at the Shepherd School of Music. They were a group of really incredible, creative, fearless performers. And then I came along the very next year um, when the ensemble decided that they wanted to try their hand at a professional career. Garrett will say that um, Winsink kind of started when I, when I jumped on board just because probably of like the validation, but Winsink started when Garrett Hudson and uh, his team of merry pranksters began <laughs> began playing the like the most challenging repertoire they could and um, really challenging themselves to try and reach a really diverse range of audiences and that's that was also really really inspiring to me as as I thought about this ensemble and, and thought about dedicating my life to something like this Winsink's mission has been really really truly ingrained and its mission is to perform for as wide of an audience with the most accessible style we can to create, to really like inspire a, um, a curiosity in classical music and to allow people to connect with it. And, and this mission of reaching beyond the concert hall, um, because it was so entrenched in Winsing from the beginning, I think has 
contributed to WinSync's longevity now, and I think continues to provide the musicians with really, really inspiring experiences um, as we kind of work out uh, all the new ways that we can be creative and reach people each season. So you had mentioned that including yourself, you know, there's been some personal changes over the years. So how do you go about auditioning and finding new members and what are you looking for? We have had some some membership change over the years, although I have to say um, currently right now we are beginning our fifth season with the same personnel and this personnel is um, quite stunning mm -hmm. in its talent and um, creativity and grit and just kind of dedication to what we're doing. So I think there is something really, really special about the members we have right now, but WinSync, we, we kind of searched somewhat internally. Um, we, we wanted people who were really fearless is a word I kind of always go with. Um, really fearless, really creative, really smart, funny. Uh, I'm trying to think of words that describe Julian. Um, good looking. <laughs> it's like dating. It's like dating. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> just like dating. You need Tinder for chamber music. That would right. be horrible idea. <laughs> um, yeah, but we, I mean, obviously, like being a, a, a stellar musician is like part of the game of playing WinSync, but, um, but being a really like solid human being who cares about people and audiences is huge for us. Our two most recent members are actually Julian, who's on right now, and Carol Lamore, an Eastman mm -hmm. grad. Um, and they, more than probably any of us in the group, are just like so adventurous. They love travel. They... They love meeting new people. And I mean, this these are qualities that all of us have, but um, that's always, that's really stood out to me about Julian and Kara in particular. And as it as it turns out, people love them and love connecting with them. And um, and the showmanship is like really outstanding. So, so yeah, we have a, we have kind of a, a process that um, we actually developed pretty organically. It's a, it's like a three pronged process where we, we play with the the member. We um, we take them out to dinner, which might be the most important part. Um, and and uh, and prior to all of that, we kind of do like a little bit of a phone chat just before they end up spending all the money to fly out and play with us and stuff. Um, so and yeah, it was it was it, it was it's always really interesting to um, audition new people and to to find those people in the same way as Julian mentioned that dating can be very interesting <laughs> and. And I think what's really been like amazing to witness is how the ensemble really evolves and changes in in really, really positive ways every single time we've had membership change. And to see the ensemble withstand that, um, what could be kind of a devastating effect in some cases, to see the ensemble um, really grow and thrive um, and to see the mission really kind of act as a, a you know a safety net below us is mm. really really special i just wanted to add that i wish orchestral auditions were that way that they gave you a phone call beforehand before you bother flying out there i mean that's what you get when you apply for a faculty position at like a university but you know yes so as part of your mission, one of the most exciting things to me as a musician and actress is your quintet makes an effort to eliminate the fourth wall, which is a very Brechtian thought between the musicians and the audience. And you often perform from memory, which again is something I think is fascinating that a chamber group is doing. Um, 
how did your ensemble come to develop this mindset? The um, the original musicians and, and the current musicians are honestly such like kind of talented, fearless performers. Um, it's, it's pretty authentic and organic to us. When we go on stage, we, we, um, it's like we almost aren't satisfied by sitting and playing in music stands because we all have had experiences on stage that include um, dance and musical theater and, and all of these different things. Julian- Costumes. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Julian in particular has, has um, practiced so many different forms of art and performing art. So, um, and I myself grew up dancing like ballet with the Oakland Ballet. Oh, and, wow. Um, I know Garrett Hudson, Garrett Hudson was actually um, on American, I or he was on Canadian Idol, excuse me. So he went all the way to Toronto um, <laughs> and is a very talented singer. Um, and and I, I mean, that's just to name a few. Emily, Emily grew up playing the violin. She can play the violin very well. Um, Kara is literally like the most Renaissance woman I've ever met. So, I mean, it's, it's very it's very authentic to us um, to include kind of these these other ways in which we are skilled at performing. We also have sought because um, our classical music training um, raised above the level of all of our other training so high. We we do seek um, training and um, coaching sessions from professionals in the mm, other fields. Um, prior to the dabbling, um, now at least. I cannot say we always did, but um, but now we definitely do and we encourage other people to do that because as performing artists, um, the more tools we kind of have in our belt, uh, the more comfortable we feel and the more creative we're able to be. So um, so yeah, we've worked with people from the Houston Ballet. We've, um, our Peter and the Wolf, which is fully choreographed and costumed and all that. We worked with, a, with acting coaches and with, um, a choreographer to like help us map that out. Um, so it, it, um, so yeah, and drawing in those other people, collaboration is something that's really, really intrinsic to the ensemble. It was authentic to the personnel um, and still is to the personnel working with it and also authentic to the mission, which is to try and appeal to a variety of sensibilities and make sure what we're doing on stage isn't um, isn't stale and isn't um, cold or lifeless. I love that. I also like to add, like before joining Winsync, it's um, I had heard of the group obviously as being one of two full-time wind quintets in the country, and I knew that they performed from memory. And I I remember how how much like how impossible of a feat that seemed at the beginning. Like, how do they do that? That's that's crazy. <laughs> but, um, as as you as you go along, you start to pick up on things, mem memory tricks and tools, mm -hmm. and it's kind of like riding a bike, essentially. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's the mm -hmm. bike. The bike seat is way too high, and the front wheel is rickety. But like, you eventually <laughs> like <laughs> gain your footing, and then it, it doesn't seem so bad. Like it, it wasn't until after our first like ninety minute recital that I like looked back and I was like, oh, we we did that. We we performed that <laughs> from memory for the entire thing, and I didn't die. Cool. <laughs> Nobody died. Yeah. <laughs> died playing a playing a recital <laughs> actually that's something that i'm interested in because obviously as a harpist i'm groomed to uh, from an early age to memorize all my music all of my teachers have always instilled that in me but from chatting with blair and also with adam this doesn't seem to be as much of a training ground in the boat strings or um wind world so it, is that something that 
you've had to learn or were you just did you have teachers who taught you those skills i know it's so interesting to even think about that because i guess like as a as a young pianist when i was what six or seven yeah i mean we did sort of um learn from memory um and but then you start doing um I guess we, we, we memorize stuff in marching band, which is neither here nor there, but, um, right. Right. But yeah, as, as after you're, you're done with high school, you go to um, college and you, you just learn your excerpts with your music in front of you on a stand. And like the thought of even performing like a Mozart exposition from memory seems just like, absolutely not. You know what I mean? Oh, <laughs> yeah. So terrifying. And, and I don't know why we don't ever, sort of um teach that in our schools like hey why don't you learn this from memory like if you're having a difficult time learning this lick or this phrase just learn it by memory and then you'll you will have practiced it so much that it's going to become second nature and i think that's like i i would like if i am ever in a position to teach at a university i would like my students to try something from memory whether it's like a short etude or I don't know, like a pop song that they had transcribed from mm -hmm. the radio, anything. Yeah, I, I think that's so, so important. And also just another thing I want to highlight because this is my research is into music and theater. I love that you worked with actors. I, it's so important. I The go-to thing I always say is if I see another awkward trumpet player shuffling onto the stage and badly bowing, I am going to throw tomatoes at them. So It sounds so much fancier when they're tomatoes and not tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's so important because like we are actors essentially oh, with, yes. you know, the instrument is an extension of our voice. But as soon as we remove our instruments, we're like, uh, 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 why are we such good speakers on our instrument, but not speakers orally? Mm -hmm. And so like meeting with an actor, he was like, Julian, just talk to me. Like you're talking to your friends. You sound like a robot. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah I do. <laughs> This ensemble too, um, we we all have a funny, like I've never experienced it like this, but when we walk on stage, it's like, like Julian, you know, there's like that split second right before we all start walking where we all kind of like snap into gear. We all go from like our joking, like whatever selves, and then we all like have these like catchphrases that we say, and then we turn into the performers that are like about to go up on stage. Um, I think those are the mm. moments that like probably would be most interesting for like a young quintet to witness. The transformation, yeah, the transformation, like right before you kind of walk on and have to embody that that character. That is so Stanislavski, and it's just, I could talk to you all about using theater practitioners in your work all day because th this literally is my research study. This is why I did the doctorate. So I love that a chamber group in particular is doing this. I think this is wonderful. But back at the ranch, before I bore you all to tears about that, uh, your repertoire selection is incredibly broad leading from Baroque to Romantic to Contemporary and especially composers of today. How do you select the repertoire you Yeah, that's that's a really great question. Um, you know, initially our we were kind of going for what is the what is like the hardest music we can play because we really wanted that um that kind of like wow factor. Mm -hmm. Um and as because like that seemed like a really great way to like get people engaged we also were trying to be really really sensitive about not just the hardest or just the most obscure or the most um i don't know you name it like 
uh, traditional in the classical music world, we we wanted to play music that we really loved, and and because that was the music that we felt like we could use to communicate with um, with audiences. Mm. Um, and so a lot of that, like a lot of the music that we really relied on heavily um, in the beginning, was music like David Maslanka's, mm. which is just so cinematic. Um, so nature inspired, so, so just like really, really challenging in that really fulfilling way that ended up lending itself to, um, to creative ideas about programming as well, where we, we didn't try to program concerts by like time periods or by composers, but we tried to pick pretty abstract themes so that we could tie in all of the various, um, inspirations that we might have into ways that were really creative and inspiring to us. And I, and that's actually probably one of my favorite elements of, of what we do um, is our, our really like abstract programming. And one of the most exciting projects was, was what we've kind of been working on for the last few years, because we knew that there was a, um, there was a solar eclipse happening in, uh, okay. in 2017. And then we knew that the anniversary, the 50th anniversary of the lunar moon landing, the lunar moon, the, um, the lunar landing <laughs> the, in, uh, in 2019. And so we, so we started working with space and the moon um, as our themes and the way that that was able to pull in all of these amazing pieces um, is so cool to me. One of the most exciting ones. So this organ piece that was inspired by the phases of the moon. Oh, seriously. Um, and That's it is awesome. this, it's this incredible um, like meditative work mm. that, that, no one, I mean, only Kara would think of it because she's like kind of a genius. <laughs> and so she created this, she created one of the most beautiful arrangements for wind quintet that I like I've ever played and was able to draw in um, this, this really old work that, that seemingly would never have been programmed mm -hmm. necessarily. Um, and so we were able to pair that with a commission that we did for the lunar landing um, of new music by Mark Mellitz. And so just seeing all these composers getting woven together is like really, really cool to me. And hopefully like, like, like we said, is able to reach people on some level at some point in the program. Yeah, and I like, I like what Ani said about that. And I mean, just for an example, we also added um, two of the planet movements to that repertoire. So we added Mars and Jupiter. Um, Emily arranged Mars and Kara arranged Jupiter. And Jupiter, um, we know that lots of people um, feel a specific way about, they, they really love it because of the, the the hymn in the in the middle the middle section right on him oh yeah that that's actually the unofficial uh, one of the unofficial national anthems for the united kingdom so whenever i play the planets that comes on i feel very patriotic i'm not a particularly patriotic person but i'm like i vow to thee my country right right and, and and a lot of people after our shows are like you know i didn't understand any of the works that you did but jupiter man that one spoke yeah. to me <laughs> it hits home it, it, it's such a beautiful epic epic tune. right and so it's it's important to us as an ensemble to perform and program music that we enjoy and but also that we think is accessible and that also sells you know um because sometimes you'll you'll send your rep list to a presenter and they'll they'll tell you no we can't play that you can't play that you can't play that <laughs> <laughs> 
You say on your website that after winning the Concert Art Skilled competition in 2012, that the ensemble's touring career kicked off. And personally, I just remember you guys getting so much recognition so quickly. I just remember suddenly you just became a, a conversation piece in, in a wind studios. How do you think you gained so much recognition so quickly? Was it just the competitions? Was it you know what you're doing specifically? Was it social media? What do you think contributed to all of these things? You know, I think, I do think the competitions were a huge, a huge thing. And, um, and we were, we were pretty picky about what competitions we wanted to do because we were so driven to build a career of touring. We were really, really driven. We wanted to, we wanted to be these full-time artists. We were really inspired by string quartets and, and, and competitions. We, we kind of associated with like a student academic pursuit to a certain extent. Mm. So um, so the very first competition we did was the Concert Artist Guild. And the Concert Artist Guild is an amazing organization. Um, they're a nonprofit dedicated to helping emerging artists develop um, themselves as concert artists that are able to, to go on tour and have really, really um, great programs and community building and all of that. I do think though, you know, when sync came about in like the kind of the early days of youtube i think having videos that showed people the kind of the, some of the like crazy things we were doing was you know also instrumental in that um so it was a it was a weird storm that kind of all coalesced in 2012 and then kind of just kept going we had been and we had been working really hard for definitely a few years prior turning failures into successes and, and all of that I think that's also something to to mention. There was there was three or four years of building um, where it was tireless and um, and we felt pushback from people who didn't didn't like some of the things that we were doing that were non traditional and um, it took a lot of took a lot of grit to kind of get through it um, and and I think that's just kind of part of the game but but the rewards are are amazing now uh, and we still like, get pushed back. It, you know it, it's still like kind of a cycle you when you're doing new things like you have to understand that like it will ruffle feathers and so it's a really interesting balance and and uh kind of mental game and we try and support each other as best we can and try and make decisions with enough sensitivity and all of that speaking of all the touring that you are doing i noticed oh, yes. uh, on your website you had like at least 20 different places that you were visiting last fall and to the beginning of this year before COVID hit and of course you had more stuff planned um what are some of the biggest challenges of touring and what are some of the best moments? Julian, you definitely are going to take this question. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Well, I think what, what year was allied? I think it was a couple of seasons ago um, where we were just on the road for pr pretty much two months straight. I was dealing with a health issue. I had a, a, a back oh, problem, um, a herniated disc oh. and we were in, where were we? My not North Dakota. It just it just got to a point where I couldn't I couldn't sit I couldn't walk all I could do was lay down and just sort of scream in pain <laughs> and um, Winsync actually just made the executive decision like okay we need to send Julian home and he needs to see a doctor and um, in that sense touring is difficult being away from um, from everything mm -hmm. you know I'm. Um, doctors, parents, food. <laughs> um, so what Julian's describing is uh, one of the more extreme versions of the challenges mm -hmm. of touring. 
Julian, I actually, I, I laughed to myself, like, as I said, Julian was going to answer that question because honestly, he makes it look easy for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a really like disciplined guy and he's our, um, he's our cheerleader on the road spiritually and also um also even physically he he really inspires us all to maintain a really great physical health um we joke he's always like leading our workouts which are almost fully attended by the entire ensemble (laughs) don't you do soul cycle or something aren't you i i I used to teach cycling now i'm teaching at a rowing studio and sort of a crossfit-esque type gym um it sounds like a lot, but it's just like two more free gym memberships that I have. And um, that's nice. <laughs> and I like for me personally, it's it's always helpful to have an outlet that isn't always music 24 seven. You know what I mean? I, I, I can't. Yes. I'm not one of those people that can geek out or talk shop all day, every day. I need at least like an hour <laughs> or two where I can like pick up heavy things and put them down, you know? I think and I think that makes touring like easier kind of having a few things that are dedicated to like the health of your body and mind and Julian's like probably one of the best of all of us at doing that um and I don't know the highlights I mean it's this sounds super corny but like exploring the world like with your best friends Mm -hmm. it's so special we have like we have these like magical pictures of us all in Moab together and in like uh, this random hot springs in Colorado and just all over New York City, you name it, you know, and and a lot of us, some of us have been to these places, some of us have family in these places because the ensemble has roots just all over North America. So getting to visit, you know, Winnipeg, where our flutist is from and seeing all of his old, you know, teachers and I mean, basically the whole the whole audience knew Garrett when they were there. That's really, really special for us. And to be able to interact and meet with so many different people. Mm-hmm. I also like to echo what Adi said, um, meeting new people. It's it's so special. Um, you know, on, on both sides of the coin, like the, the really great experiences and, and the bad experiences, you know, misery loves company. Like we're in like a really <laughs> terrible, I don't know, like hotel or space. Like we, we just look at each other and laugh and just like, we're gonna snapshot <laughs> this and put this in our memory book, you know? Oh, I love that. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's that's a great way of approaching it. Going off from that, what is the weirdest gig that you've ever performed as a <laughs> And oh, I love no. when we get laughs from this. That means there's always a brilliant story afoot. Or two or three. Oh, many. <laughs> I oh, I mean, you name it. On that on that two month long tour, we were stopping in um towns with population like what on you 50 100 and um <laughs> yeah our, our flutist used to take a guess he was normally pretty spot on <laughs> i do remember one in particular after the concert we were um greeting our our audience members and one guy just came up to us i mean it was really funny he was just he just looked at all of our faces and he was like you guys are great did you guys plan the diversity in this group <laughs> Oh. Oh. <laughs> I mean, like, in the moment, we were just sort of like dumbfounded and just sort of in shock. But now we look back and like, that was that was really peculiar. Like, that was the most yeah, the strangest thing that we have ever been told. <laughs> Listen, it was at that same that same um, venue that after the concert, we went to a bar and I had asked the bartender for a gin and tonic and he didn't know how to make it. So, oh, oh, <laughs> what? oh, sweet baby, that is not good. Do you remember that, Ani? He's like, I need to get my manager. I don't know how to make a gin and tonic. <laughs> 
I mean, but we also like were the only ones there. I mean, oh my God, Garrett was also like laughing as he was driving the van up a snowy hill and it was like sliding backwards. There was like oh, no yes. one in this snowy <laughs> Minnesota town. Honestly, we could do a podcast on just like, like literally the only topic could be things audience members say to you after a performance. Yep. Like that could be, that could be like just a a full on podcast. That could be just me. It could be an anonymous thing where people call in or write in their weird things that have happened at gigs. It's um, yeah. Yes. I I think we, I think we found our new venture guys. (laughs) I think that's a great idea. I'd listen to that hands down. Speaking of touring and hopefully this would not have made your bad list, but you were slated to be at the Eastman school of music in March, right before the pandemic happened. And unfortunately you weren't able to come and join us for some wonderful opportunities. I know you're going to do some performances. I also knew you were going to do some sort of careers talk. So tell me a little bit about what you were planning on doing at Eastman and you know what are some of the conversations you normally hold with university students yeah we had a full slate of activities at Eastman that we were really really looking forward to um even just like personally because Kara is an alum an alumnus and Julian is as well um we were really looking forward to like coming back and being able to to speak with um with all the students also because Eastman has really always been an impressive institution to me because there are these really innovative thinking um, thinkers and innovative projects that are coming out of it. Mm-hmm. Eastman seems to really be a, a kind of ahead of other schools, even back to, I remember in, I remember in 2010, um, I was on a, some panel that Eastman was holding on innovative um, projects and chamber music stuff. And, and that seems really, really ahead. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. so it, we were really excited to, to go back and like, and probably get a bunch of really great ideas from the students (laughs) that were, um, that were all there. So, so yeah, we would have done some performances. Um, I think we were going to do a recital. We, we were going to do, I know we were going to meet specifically with a careers class, Mm -hmm. um, which would have been, which would have been really amazing. And also holding workshops, um, kind of on entrepreneurship and, and, uh, and our style of thinking about that, which really is just largely based on, whatever we've learned from these 10, mm-hmm. 11, 12 years of, of just trying our hand at this um, because, because it does seem like those stories of, of failure and success are, are really the learning moments. We do tend to let the sessions be as organic as possible and try to allow as many moments for, for the students to really get in there and like let us know what they're thinking about, what their questions are. Sometimes students have really specific project questions that they're mm-hmm. working on. Sometimes it's really broad and just kind of like general and how do you think about this? Um, and, and those are, it's, it's really great. It's really great for the ensemble to, to, um, to kind of glean whatever they're thinking about and also to share what we've learned. Those sessions are, are really great. Yeah, they're, they're like, they're kind of re- reflective moments for us in a lot of ways. And a huge shout out to the Institute for Music Leadership and the Arts Leadership Program at East Wing, because that, that is something that is really quite wonderful that the uh, the school has, that I hope all schools of music and conservatories, if they haven't started doing that, they start soon, because it's so important, especially in the current climate. Mm-hmm. All right. So logistically, you're talking about like entrepreneurship and all the, the whoops moments and then giggling <laughs> to each other about dumb ideas and dumb things. So how does WinSync 
function administratively. So, um, you know, do, what do you guys do on your own time? What do you hire someone else to do? Do you all do things equally? Do some people do uh, more things than others? How is that determined? Uh, another very interesting question. Um, I don't know if Julian will want to say anything, but uh, this is actually a really like exciting element to me about WinSync. I think because of the sheer mystery um, of how all these groups kind of figure this out and um, and and how it's kind of still a mystery to me. But um, but as of right now, we do have a booking agent in New York, so that helps us with um, touring. Okay. Uh, um, we did originally book our own tours, which I definitely encourage groups to try and do just because it is such an incredible learning experience. And I think makes you better in working with a booking agent because yes. you understand intimately what that, what that requires. Mm -hmm. Um, so we have a, we have a booking agent. We're actually self-managed, which, which I think is probably more a, a result of the ensemble's um, because we have tried to do it before. So we do understand how to do things and, and in that way, um, responsibilities are divided um, really, really equally. And that feels really right. good. Although we try not to obsess on, or I do, I try not to obsess on like the, the equality of all of it because <laughs> it becomes it becomes so impossible to, to quantify what everyone's oh, yeah. doing. Um, but Emily, our oboist, she does all of our travel logistics and she's a whiz at it. Um, and she does a lot of kind of like, initial and like um like presenter coordination and all of that and so so she's constantly booking hotels and booking rental cars and keeping mm -hmm. track of all of that our plane flights all of that um kara is typically in touch with presenters about programming and making sure those programs are communicated to all of us and yeah. um and really far out so that's like a kara's always Kara's always kind of two years in the future emily's <laughs> on the ground and kara's always two years in the future um Julian does like, all of our social media when we're on the road. And like I said, he's our spirit animal in <laughs> almost every way. Mascot. <laughs> um, Garrett does all of our driving. So he's kind of right there on the ground with Emily. He's making sure we're all safe in our minivans as we speed along the highways. And he also is kind of our standard bearer for etiquette and punctuality. And he's our Canadian, so that makes sense. Uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> And and I'm just there kind of, you know, you know, just causing trouble, huh, Julian? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> uh, I do um I do most of the communication, like direct communication with the booking agent and um and I'm kind of like putting all the pieces together. So I'm like sometimes well into the future with Kara and I'm sometimes on the ground and I'm I'm like kind of functioning in that way that that somebody who kind of just like has a lot of institutional knowledge does where I just kind of know, mm -hmm. I know, I know maybe, maybe the most about what has worked and what doesn't work and, and all of that and try it. And I try and convey that with as much humility as I can. Someone's gotta be the glue that kind of keeps all the pieces and talking yes. to each other. I yes. mean, but, but yeah, things are, um, Things are not like always equal necessarily, but we try and make sure that everybody feels like inspired to contribute in the ways that they, in the ways that they, in the skills that they maybe already have or in the ways that they want to grow. And that's really helpful. So um, sometimes we've even like deliberately mixed up roles. At this mm -hmm. point, I don't know that we will necessarily, but, um, 
but yeah, a really interesting uh, thing for groups to figure out. And um, I think like my, my biggest piece of like advice to like a young group would be to not get too focused on trying to have this utopia of, of equality because it's just, it's just absolutely impossible to quantify. And it's better that you just feel really good about the work you're doing Yes, and, and, and try to help others contribute when they can and, and like, and feel good about the work that they do and the things that they bring to the table because everybody is so important in one way or the other. I also like to add um, for young groups, um, I think what makes Winsync work is that whenever we're in rehearsal or in concert, we, we check our pride and our sense of clout at the door. You know, I, I've seen, I've seen young groups um, fail because of that. I've seen them rehearse and there's just like, there's five cooks in the kitchen and it's like, it's, it's, it, it's not going to work that way. You, you have to respect each other like on a, right on a musical level and on a personal level as well to make it really work. I think that's very wise that you have um, noticed that uh, within your ensemble. I think that's wonderfully important. Recently, you are also so accomplished that you have all started your own chamber festival on stage, off stage. What made you decide to start a festival and what's your mission? We, so that actually started the year, the, the year that Kara and Julian joined us. So our most mm. recent uh, musicians. And I think it really was a product of, of this kind of overwhelming energy to, to reach audiences in Houston specifically with all of the really like great things that we had been doing around the country. Because we work with all these really amazing presenters on, on just like the best projects. And, um, and we thought like, we should be bringing some of this stuff back to Houston, which is the, the home base of the ensemble and the mm -hmm. nonprofit. And, and, and festivals work really well to, to, they're just kind of an efficient model to kind of get all that done. You can get, you can get more stuff done in that chunk of time. And we, we had developed these relationships with really incredible organizations like the Houston Youth Symphony um, and the Center for Performing Arts Medicine and and, and uh, we thought it would be a really great chance to partner with these organizations and present really, really meaningful programs. So yeah, that's kind of the mission of the festival is to, is to build the Houston community. I don't know if we have like a written out message, but, but it is at least from the understanding with the ensemble, it's, it's really to build the, the Houston community with these innovative creative placemaking style programs. And what it's, what it's been able to feature, which is really exciting to us is the Houston Youth Symphony, we get to work with them and we actually present mm -hmm. their, um, it's their El Sistema arm, the Coda Music Program. Okay. So we work with these young string players, which is, which is really fun for us because we're wind players. So we all have mm -hmm. to kind of like acknowledge that and move on and, um, and just be, be musicians together. And, um, and we, one of the, so one of the highlights of this project is annually, we take the Coda Music students we prepare a program of music and we we present it in the Hobby Center for the Performing Arts downtown in Zilka Hall. And um, another facet of this is the Houston Youth Symphony works so hard to get all of their parents downtown too, parents and family oh, members. And we, mm. we, we make sure they all get in on comp tickets. And, um, and for a lot of people, this is like maybe their first time downtown and experiencing a, you know, a, a really great performing arts center. Zilka is beautiful. Um, and so it's this really, really special moment for these young musicians 
um, coming from the near north side in Houston and, and all of their family. And that was something that we, that was, that was a project inspired by all of these El Sistema arms that we've been working with all over the country. We work with, um, we work with Ravinia's um, El Sistema program. We work with um, the, the city of Lexington has an El Sistema program called Music Works. And we had been working with them for years. We really wanted to try and do some of these cool things back in Houston because we do tour so much. And so our energies get divided. I had this conversation uh, actually with my roommate very recently where he was making a comment actually that I do a lot of touring. Well, I did before COVID hit, mm -hmm. um, but sort of saying about giving back to where you're from. And I think that you guys have found a wonderful way of doing that because of course you're extensively touring and taking your gift to so many places, uh, taking your gift, that always sounds like such a naff thing to say, but taking your talents to different places but then using that to give back into where you're from. I think that's so incredible. So uh, you had hinted at this already, but I would like to go into a little bit further detail. You, between all the things that you do, since you're self-manage and the touring, and it's now a festival on top of it. And the memorizing. Um, could, and the memorizing. <laughs> could each of you describe one skill set that you think has been really, really crucial as a member of this group? And did you already have it or did you have to develop it? I, I learned this in school and uh, just um, flexibility and openness um, just to be an adaptability definitely mm -hmm. <laughs> because as, as, or as an early musician you're taught like okay play this excerpt this way and only this way and when you're in an orchestra everything is in in such a way that if, if, if anything is out of whack you, you're, you're sort of like you lose focus and you're just like not able to respond or react to what's going on around you as I like wrapped up my 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 um, academic journey and started playing Winsing, I sort of had to develop that sense of openness and and the ability to um, respond, react, and readapt in a way, and just 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 to sort of um, continue on because you know the show must go on. So um, yeah, that's what I would say. I had to learn a little bit when I joined the group. <laughs> Because not every not every performance venue is going to be idyllic, right? You're some, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> sometimes you're going to be performing Peter and the Wolf um, in a hundred degree heat outside, <laughs> and that, or right, in a so, gymnasium or with carpet. Yeah, no, that's, that's right. Really right, cool. we are we are experts at the cafetorium situation yeah. by this point. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just being open and and being able to respond well and not be. Um, you know, not responding negatively to new and uh, new experiences. Hmm. Great. Yeah, that's that's a really good answer, Julian. I'm lost. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I I think I think what I had to learn was a um, was a, a positive, a really really positive attitude towards like new school new skill acquisition that wasn't chamber music. Mm -hmm. um, because in this ensemble, we do so much for ourselves and that's actually what makes it really amazing. Um, you know, even when it comes down to like bookkeeping, like I had to, I had to kind of try and figure out how to make that something that I wanted to do. I, <laughs> I, I had to learn how to, I had to learn how to build a budget and I have to get excited about that. Um, and I had never, I had never, ever, ever done that before. 
so yeah, like, and, and now I think I approach the prospect of learning these new skills with a little bit more of, of a positive attitude than maybe I did before. Um, because you can kind of get into a world where, where you're like, oh, I don't need to learn how to do that. That doesn't apply to what I'm doing or something. But you know, the biggest, like the, the best thing you can do is learn as much as you can about everything else outside of <laughs> music. Um, if I could go back and do it again, I probably would take a, you know, a business class or an accounting class or something. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, just saying that should be yeah. speaking my language, <laughs> but you know, the, the, I guess the moral that I've learned is that, um, is that you can, you can still learn it, even if you didn't do it in college. Um, and it's just a matter of you kind of deciding that you're gonna, you know, climb that mountain and having the willpower to get up it. So yeah. So we're just leading up to the final question now, which is what advice would you give any young musicians pursuing a similar career path to you guys? I think uh, I wish someone had told me that there was so much more than um, teaching or performing in an orchestra. Yes, <laughs> that's so important. I feel like I feel like that's so ingrained in us from such an early start in our musical journey that like anything anything other than that seems less than almost, you know what or I mean? Or it doesn't exist. Right. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure you have both, or all three, all four of us, all three of us, all four of us have dealt with this. I've had people uh, say to me, oh, you're going to get an orchestra job, right? And I'm like, that's not everything that music is. It's wonderful. If you get that tenured orchestral job, fantastic. But that's not, if you don't, it doesn't make you any less of a musician or less of an artist. Right, right. And did you know they have chamber music festivals in the summer, not just orchestral festivals? Did you know that? <laughs> I know. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I think I, I sort of alluded to this earlier, but but the, the thing that sticks in my mind is is just being as interested as possible in everything else besides chamber music. Um, yes. Because all of those skills that you build outside of it, some, it's crazy. It's like they just somehow will come in handy, even if even if it's a um, just an interest that you have that then helps you connect with an audience member or mm. whatever, it just it just adds to your kind of wealth of of background and um, and makes mm. everything you do more exciting and um, and more stimulating. So it, just, it even gives you stuff to fall back on when you know you feel overwhelmed or whatever. So so um, yeah, I've just seen I've seen how how everybody's really practice skills that aren't chamber music end up somehow contributing to to what it is that we're doing which i also think is what makes this so special because because it it like it it like provides us with like the most like like evolved like maximum state of ourselves or something ending on <laughs> maximum state of ourselves i think we just got really yes. we got into the cosmos remember that moon thing that we were doing before i think we're there yeah we're going back to it oh, good, i love it good. Yeah, let's just end in the stars. <laughs> just to wrap up, uh, so all of your socials and your website and everything will be down in the show notes. But do you have anything that you would like to shout out? Uh, anything for our audience to come and find you guys or that you're working on currently? Well, today, actually, as of a couple hours ago, we released um, a premiere. Uh, we commissioned a composer from Rice. His name is Erbert Erilmaz, and he wrote a five minutes um, hard hitting Turkish piece 
And if you guys want to go listen to it, it's on. I saw, I actually saw that a couple of hours ago and I was so excited. (laughs) At Winsync on every platform. All right, my loves, thank you so much for giving us your time today uh, so that we could pick your brains with all these questions. And I hope that you've enjoyed this, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening to Soundweavers and we look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Soundweavers podcast. If you enjoyed our show, we hope that you'll find us on Facebook and Instagram at SoundweaversCast and on Twitter at SWChambercast, where you'll get episodes as soon as they drop, show notes, and regular updates. This podcast is hosted by Rosanna Moore and engineered by Blair Kerner. I'm your producer, Adam Paul Cordell. Our theme music was composed by Evan Henry and recorded by the Soundweavers team. The music you heard in today's podcast was performed by Win Sync. On behalf of the Soundweavers cast, see you in two weeks. Thank you.